Welcome to episode 31 of the Seeking the Military Suicide Solution podcast brought to you by the Military Times. I'm Dwayne France. And I'm Doc Shauna Springer. And we'd like to thank you for taking the time to learn more about suicide in the military affiliated population. To check out all the shows, search for STMSS in the Google Play or Apple App Store, and you can download an app that will allow you to listen to all the episodes, check out the show notes, and share the episodes with someone that you think might need to hear it. Thanks again for joining us to listen to an honest conversation about service member, veteran, and military family suicide. Suicide is a very personal and important topic, perhaps not more so than with those who served. In an effort to continue to bring diverse range of voices into the conversation, I reached out to former Marine and author Akshay Nanavati to get his thoughts on suicide prevention. Shauna, what can you tell me about Akshay? Yeah, so Akshay Nanavati has overcome drug addiction, PTSD from fighting the war in Iraq with Marines where one of his jobs was to walk in front of vehicles to find explosives and depression and alcoholism that pushed him to the brink of suicide. Combining his life experience with research in science and spirituality, he wrote the book, Fearvana, the revolutionary science of how to turn fear into health, wealth, and happiness. About the book, the Dalai Lama said, Fearvana inspires us to look beyond our own agonizing experiences and find the positive side of our lives. This interview is full of ideas that will be new for many of us. Let's drop in. Yes, I think that Akshay, having the lived experience, but also the desire to lend his voice to the conversation, it was great to have him on the show. We'll jump into the conversation and come back afterwards to pull out some of the key points. In your experience, in your network in the Marines, and sort of before we started talking, the Marine veteran community has really been hit hard with this. Yeah. It, it, sort of in the community, what do you see as some of the challenges where suicide is such a, a big factor? There's, there's a lot, starting with that it's most meta level is how we view our relationship to trauma. And I'll give you an example of this. So Dr. Martin Seligman, he's one of the leading researchers in positive psychology. He went and interviewed cadets at West Point. And he just asked the cadets, these guys hadn't been to war yet, but just asked them, how many of you have heard of post-traumatic stress disorder? And it was like something like 90 to 95% raised their hand. And then he asked them, how many of you have heard of post-traumatic growth? And it was less than 5%. And the problem is we have created the self-fulfilling prophecy. So most of us, before we even step foot on the battlefield, we have created this notion that we are going to come back messed up in the head. And nobody's consciously saying it. Nobody's obviously saying, oh, yeah, that's going to happen. But it's pretty evident that that's the reality. I mean, to this day, if somebody finds out I'm a veteran, and you probably experienced this, there's this sense of almost uh, pity, almost, oh, poor you. And I get it's coming from a place of love. I get that. I respect that. But it's almost like you're probably all kinds of messed up in the head poor you. You know what I mean? So we've created this self-fulfilling prophecy, this paradigm that trauma equals disorder, but that's not the case. And so when I started my own healing, I started to learn that symptoms that they said equate to post-traumatic stress disorder, like for example, survivor's guilt, like being jumpy when there's loud noises, like avoiding crowds. These were all things that they said equals post-traumatic stress disorder. And so I said, okay, until I went and started my own healing. And I realized that, look, these are normal human responses to war. I mean, when you spend seven months in a war zone, your brain's going to say, dude, loud noises equals death. You better be hypervigilant. Crowds can equal death. You better be hypervigilant. Survivor's guilt is not something wrong, even though everybody said it. And look, rationally, I get it. Rationally, I get it. I could have gone to war with Neil. 
He could have still died. I could have still come back. Rationally, I get that in war, bullets fly where they fly. We all know that. It's not going to change the fact, right? But that doesn't change the emotional expression of guilt. Everybody said, don't feel guilty, the therapist, the this, that, and the other person. And I get it, but guilt is just an expression of my love. It's a natural human response to the camaraderie we will feel as brothers who go out there and fight and die together, man. So it's the paradigms we've set that like them saying that these things equal post-traumatic stress disorder. So what I came to learn is post-traumatic stress does not mean post-traumatic stress disorder. These are normal human responses to war. And by removing the word disorder, I can now change my relationship to the trauma, relationship to the suffering, relationship to the guilt. And suddenly I can find meaning to the guilt. And that's what I did as one example of many different things. But for a long time, I actually had a picture of Neil and me and it says, this should have been you earned this life. That's an intense thing to look at every single day. But for a long time, that was my fuel. My guilt became my ally. It helped me sober up. It helped me finish writing my book. It helped me serve others. Now, eventually I did take it off and I no longer have that poster. It's just in this folder, but I no longer have the poster up on the wall. Instead, I have the words honor his death, earn this life because the guilt was just going too far. But the point is that it's our demonization of trauma. It's the demonization of suffering. It's the idea that suffering is something bad. It's that, that we should, we, we pursue happiness. We live in a modern culture that's always looking for joy, happiness. But here's the thing, man. Happiness is not the elimination of sadness. Happiness is the ability to find the gift in sadness. So we have to embrace the struggle, embrace the suffering. We think that mental health is somehow the idea that we will live in a happy state all the time. Our brain will be equilibrium. There'll be this homeostasis and we'll be content but that's not the case. The lows of life are essential. And so kind of falling in love with the lows, those are some elements, but there's a lot of other stuff we can delve into in terms of like the necessity for structure, the simplicity, the war brings a lot of those, like war is a strangely peaceful experience, which you can get what I mean when I say that. And, and you have to replicate that peace in this world as well. There's definitely some great points there. I actually had a colleague, a psychologist asked me how many deployments I had. And I said five. Uh, and she said, oh, of course you have PTSD. Well, my second tour in Afghanistan, the latrine was in the same building I slept in. So it was not a very hard deployment, right? And so that is not a one-to-one. -one. There is exactly. that misconception. But then I also don't wonder if we buy into our own misconception. I'm a kid of the 80s, right? So I grew up watching Rambo being a crazy combat vet yeah. and taking over the town and born yeah. on the 4th of July and all of yeah. these post-Vietnam deer hunter, right? The, yeah. the, the crazy combat vet. And that's something that sort of seeps into the consciousness, yeah. which then builds into that. Everybody's going to look at a combat vet out of the corner of their eye and it creates somebody who feels different, a validation that they are different. Exactly. 100% agree. And, and that's, that was Dr. Seligman's point is that it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. There's actual studies on this. Dr. Robert Cialdini, he wrote this book, Influence Psychology of Persuasion. He said that in, in places where suicides were published, the number of suicides went up dramatically. I can't remember the exact number, but dramatically when suicides were published because what happens is it tacitly condones that behavior. What are we doing? We're telling every other person who's on the edge that this is the viable course of action. This is the, the norm. This is an, a way out. And what we should be doing is sharing more stories of post-traumatic growth. We need to create a self-fulfilling prophecy. That's what I'm trying to do with my work with Yervana is saying that, look, trauma is beautiful. Suffering is beautiful. And the reality, it's not bad or good. It just is. What we do with it is up to us. So even the most horrific things, the darkest things, the greatest pain can be an access point to the greatest joy. Like 
looking at my friend who I lost in war and now saying, look, I mean, I didn't want that to happen to this day. I obviously I would never want that. But now it's up to me to honor his death. And one of the greatest quotes that I've read from this guy, Harold Kushner, who wrote this book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. And he said, the dead depend on us for their redemption and their immortality. Such a powerful quote, especially for all of us who've lost somebody, veterans, when we struggle with that, the dead depend on us for their redemption and their mortality. So right now, if I look at my life and start drinking myself stupid like I did for a long time, imagine what Neil would say about me. I'm dishonoring his death. I'm dishonoring his life. I'm dishonoring the life that I've been gifted, man. Like I found out after the war that my vehicle drove over an active IED and for some reason it didn't explode. My staff sergeant told me years after the war, I just... I guess I wasn't paying attention in that debrief that day. But to me, it's like now I've earned this life, man. I don't have a right to waste it. So honoring that, like valuing the trauma of that, it doesn't have to be bad. It's whatever we make it. Does that make sense? It, it absolutely does. And this idea, and I'm a, a huge advocate of, of Seligman and the concept of post-traumatic growth and, and really yeah. some of the early work on resilience and, yeah. and even learned helplessness and, and sort of how we exactly. can trap ourselves. Yep. And even going back further, Viktor Frankl says, happiness yep. is an emergent property. It's not something to be pursued. Yep. It's something that develops out of something. Exactly. And so you've mentioned post-traumatic growth a couple of different times. And so in your words or in your experience, post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, many people in the non-clinical role want to drop the D. Of course, those clinicians want to keep that or, or necessarily need to keep that because of the, the medical condition of it. But regardless of the semantics of that, let's say PTSD is the shadow notion of negative outcomes of stressful situations, post-traumatic mm -hmm. growth, positive outcomes. Mm -hmm your definition or your point of view of post-traumatic growth? My point of view is that even the quote-unquote negative outcomes, even the survivor's guilt, even the jumpy loud noises, even the nightmares, the flashbacks, these are not disorders. These are normal human responses, and we have to view it as such. And that's why I'm so... Uh, that's why I, I so promote the dropping of the D because when we assign that D, it's not just a word, it, then we create that belief that there's something wrong with me. Because I have this, now there's something wrong with me. But that's not the case. It's normal. So what do we do with it? So post-traumatic growth is turning the demons into, into something, finding light in that darkness. I'm not saying you have to go the route, but like putting a picture of a friend that I lost in the war saying, this should have been you earned this life. The guilt never went away. To this day, it's still there. From time to time, it shows up. But now I use it. I mean, to this day, what I do is, I'm not, and I want to be a strong caveat on this, I'm not saying everybody should do this, depending on where you're at. I sometimes consciously watch scenes from war movies like Black Hawk Down, Hacksaw Ridge, Band of Brothers, knowing they will make me cry. And they make me cry. They put me in a horribly intense space. But I go there intentionally because I find now value in that struggle, value in that intensity of that raw emotion. And it keeps me focused on my mission that, look, this, the war isn't over. The war is never over. Life is a war. Life is a battleground. So we might have ended one war, but there's a new war to fight now. There's always a new war to fight. Every single day, there's a worthy war to fight. And it's about transforming that war into a worthy war. So post-traumatic growth is just turning the darkness and finding the most beautiful thing in it. Like Viktor Frankl, man, finding meaning in the hell of a concentration camp. And to your point, what he said, we don't pursue happiness. That's also, and that's a key point in post-traumatic growth is the pursuit of happiness is an ideal that we value so much in not just American culture, but modern Western culture anywhere, right? We say it's about the pursuit of happiness, but that is a deeply flawed concept. I get where it's coming from, coming from a good space, but it's a deeply flawed concept because when you look at pursuing happiness, then suffering, pain, adversity, struggle, they become impediments. They become obstacles to the happiness because happiness is obviously the avoidance of that. But if I look at pursuing meaning, 
pursuing purpose or what, what I deem it as your worthy struggle. That's what Fearvana is about. Fearvana is finding your worthy struggle. And I don't like that term passion, not to say passion is bad, but when people say follow your passion, it conveys this idea that life will be sunshine and rainbows and unicorns. And we all know it won't, it will be hard. So I call it your worthy struggle. So when you pursue meaning, when you pursue that worthy war, suffering is not a barrier to it. It's a part of the adventure. It's a lesson along the way. So the struggles we go through, the hardships we go through, the death we experience, the loss, everything we experience is now part of the meanings we assign. But we live in a culture that's created a paradigm that views happiness. I'll be happy when I get there. Million dollars, car, whatever there is. We all know that problems are always going to show up. Billionaires have problems. People with zero dollars have problems. Everybody's got problems. Everybody's going to suffer. But if we pursue meaning, we find a worthy struggle. We find a worthy war. And that suffering has meaning and purpose to it. And that's, that's what I deem as post-traumatic growth. It's not just veterans. Everybody goes through some degree of hell one way or another. What do you do with that hell and find beauty in it and learn to say that hell equates to my meaning, equates to my fight. Today, I have a worthy war to fight and all the hell, man, every bit of darkness I've ever been through in, in my life has shaped me. I wouldn't be here today on this fight now, on this worthy cause with Fearvana, here talking to you had I not gone through that darkness. And that's something that I often experience with veterans that I work with and veterans that I talk to is that sense of meaning and purpose. You had a sense of meaning and purpose yep. in the Marine Corps. I mean, that's, yep. that's one of the things that fuels the Marine Corps, right? Is the Eagle Globe anchor meaning and purpose. Right? That. It is the, the, the drive. And, and in the military, we have meaning and purpose. Yeah. And, and I describe it as when we leave the military, we have this huge hole in our lives and we have 100%. to fill it with something. Yep. And lack of meaning and purpose is hopelessness. And that hopelessness yeah. sounds like where you were at at that point where you decided yeah. to go a different way. Yeah. It, I mean, hundred percent. That's one of the hardest part is because yeah, in the meaning and whether or not you believe in the politics of the war is irrelevant, but on the ground there, you were doing something meaningful. You're, you're experiencing so many of the essential human needs, the brotherhood, the camaraderie, you're getting these experiences of life that, that are way higher than the mundane, right? You're getting the intensity, the adrenaline. And so suddenly life is amped up at a different level. You're doing something meaningful. Again, whether you believe in politics is irrelevant. On the ground, you're doing something meaningful there with each other. We were there to help the people. We were trying to help the Iraqi people. And so all of this is there. Now you come out and that's gone. So that is a very, very, very hard battle. So one, we have to accept that battle. It's almost like a grieving. You're mourning this loss. So when you lose people, you got to mourn that. Like mourn it, be with it, and it sucks. It is, there's nothing easy about that. It does suck. And then it's about, okay, look, this sucks. What am I going to do? Because we can sit there and be victims about it. God knows I've been in a victim mode for a long time in my life, man. What was me? I wish I was back in the war. Like I should have gone through this. This should have, this all the shoulds, right? So I've been a victim about it myself. But now it's like, all right, look, that war is over. Let me create a new war. And sometimes people don't like my terminology, war, battle. And I, but the thing is, life is a battle. Tell me I'm wrong, man. Like we're battling no. into our minds. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. But it's, but it's absolutely your terminology, right? It's whatever works for you. And, mm -hmm. and, and your drive for meaning and purpose and something of significance in this life may be different than someone else's. Exactly. The path is different, but the goal of doing something meaningful with our life, whether you call it a war, a battle, a struggle, whatever. Yeah that's the key is having exactly. that object. Yeah. So once you get out, you got to find that new meaning and that's not easy. So how do you do that? Let's like strategically, you want to look like depending where, whoever you are, look at people who are living a lifestyle that you want to live. So, and start looking at these people, what are they doing? How are they doing it? What are their belief systems that got them there? So you're, you're working backwards from the future, not forward from the present. Cause many of us, when we get out, especially veterans, we're now living in the past. We missed the war. We missed the Marines. We hold on to that past. 
And that can just, because it's not going to get us anywhere. We all know that. At some point, we got to say, all right, cool. I got to learn from this. I value the life experience. What am I going to do with this? So let's step into the future. So work backwards from the future. Look into people who are living a lifestyle that I want to get. And then what I start to do is when I look at that, I'll now work backwards. Okay, what are the elements of that lifestyle? What elements do I not want? Because it's often easier to figure out what we don't want about life than what we do want. So what are the things I don't want? So not everybody might want to travel. Other people might want to stay home with their family. For me, it's very important to travel, to climb out, do these things. That's my path. Find your path. Find elements of the life. And then look at what are the quote-unquote jobs that might get you there. And I say quote-unquote jobs because like at one point I wanted to become a mountain climber, professional mountain bum after coming back from the military. That's not a job per se, but that was a path I was looking at. So now you look at what are the different paths to get me to that lifestyle, to that way of life. And then you start looking at what do I have that can get me there? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What are my qualities? And which struggle am I willing to endure? So now what you do is you ask yourself the question, it's not about which passion do I want to follow. It's about which struggle am I willing to endure. Every path you choose in life, do I work this corporate job that I hate or do I quit and start a business? Both of them are going to be hella hard. Both of them are going to have struggles. So question is, which struggle are you willing to endure? So now you decide. And by doing that, you also get clear. Like I might say, okay, I love the lifestyle of a, a, a Kobe Bryant or an NBA player. I'm never going to be an NBA player. It's just not going to happen. I'm 5'7", I'm 35. It's just not going to happen. So you ask yourself, which struggle am I willing to endure by studying the path to get to that result? And then you'll say, okay, what that path's not going to get me there. What is the path B that might make get me there? And then you look at that path and, okay, here's all the struggle it's going to take. Roger that. Okay, this is the path I'm going to choose. And you got to embrace the suck. I mean, one thing we are good at in the military is embracing the suck. I mean, we all know we go through the suck. The thing is we don't apply that same context sometimes to life, to the rest of life when we come out because of those some reasons you mentioned, the lack of meaning. So now what we do is we create our own meaning which is harder because in the military, it's all assigned to us, right? Everything's assigned. The structure is assigned. You wake up, you don't have to think what to do. Your, your CO tells you to go do something, you freaking do it, whether you like it or not. And, and, and at the time, we all bitch about it. We all know we're going to bitch about it when we're in it. But there's a beauty and a simplicity to that. So now what we got to do is create the structures, create the systems. Like I live my life like a rigid machine, man, like systems like you would not believe. So the system transcends my feelings. I don't operate from feelings. Like I don't care what I feel. What matters is the systems. And I create those systems through practice, experimentation, in service of the meaning I am pursuing. And then what I do is I, I, I work towards that. I pursue that. I embrace the suck of right. I embrace the struggles of that. And I'm, cl I'm clear on the struggles. So fundamentally, at, at the very core, you got to fall in love with the struggle. Like if there's one key teaching that I share with people is that the single most important skill to master is to develop a positive relationship to suffering of any kind, any kind, you got to smile at suffering. My, my mantra in life is suffer well, suffer well. You do that. I mean, at fun, if you do that, you will be able to handle life when it punches you in the face. And you also be able to handle the worthy struggle, whether it be building a business, running a marathon, writing a book, hosting podcast, everything worthwhile is going to be hard. But if you suffer well, you'll be able to fall in love with the suffering off that path. And see, and, and this is the thing, and, and some of the discussions we have around preventing suicide, it's mm -hmm. not just about stopping someone from dying. It is learning how to help someone live. You're not Absolutely. doing all of this to keep yourself from getting back in that place in the couch with the handle of Jack. You're doing this to live a life, not avoid dying. Yeah. Initially, when you're in that, the avoidance of pain is going to be the strongest motivator. And you're going to get to a point and there's no magical moment. You'll kind of know it. But at first, especially like when I'm right on the edge, all I'm caring about is getting not, not, not going back to that edge. Then you start getting better and better and better. And then suddenly it's like, all right, now I have a vision for a future. But sometimes when you're in that darkness, you can't even imagine the other side of that. You just need to be like, all right, what am I going to do to get out of that? And the, and the great thing, like the fundamental thing there is to disidentify from the emotion. We get attached. So we'll say things like, I have PTSD. I am depressed. I have depression. 
We become that emotion. We become that feeling. We become that thought. Recognizing, as Viktor Frankl also says, there is a space between stimulus and response. There is a space. And what we do in that space defines us. So in that space, we can, we can change it. So key thing, we are not our thoughts. We are not our feelings. We are not our experiences. We are the thinker of our thoughts, the feeler of our feelings, and the experiencer of our experiences. And this was such a game changer for me. So when I was in that darkness saying, look, I'm not that person who was on the couch. That's not who I am. That's not my self-identity. But we become that. That's what we got to let go of. I'm not depressed. I don't have PTSD. I'm not going to assign any of those damn labels to myself. I'm going to choose a new one. I, I have been through those things, but I am not those things. What am I going to do instead? So first you disidentify. Then you get out of the darkness. Once you do that, then you can start painting the future vision. But I, I mean, 100% agree that a big reason why people who struggle with addiction, a big reason they relapse is you can't just get out of the drinking or the drugs and then leave a void. That void has to be filled with something. Same thing for veterans who are on that edge is that you got to fill that void with something. And so pursuing the meaning is also about falling in love with the process. It's not about getting there because again, you're going to, it's not about the million dollars. It's not about the result. You're going to have new problems. So I always like to say that progress is not the elimination of problems. Progress is the creation of new problems. So you got to fall in love with the process of overcoming one problem at a time, not waiting to get there, expecting all the problems to end. That is a recipe for misery. That's what causes us a lifetime of misery, waiting for problems to end. Fall in love with the process of overcoming a problem, knowing that they'll always be there. And that's not a bad thing because on the other side of every problem is a new awakening, is a new insight, a new growth. So yeah, initially, just you hold on to that pain to get out of the darkness. And when the time is right, which you will just kind of know, then you start painting the future vision and you start getting there and you start fighting for it. You know, that's definitely some great action steps. Uh, much of what we're talking about on this show is getting beyond the 22 push-ups a day and hashtags and, and things yeah. like that and, and actually taking action, right, indi yeah. individual action, right? What can individuals do, but also what can we as a community to finally put a stop to this? Because you're you as know. fed up about it as I am. Your book, Fearvana, if you can tell us what it's about, but also where we can find it. Yeah. If I had to summarize in one line, it's to help people develop a positive relationship to fear and suffering of any kind to do three things, to find, live, and love their worthy struggle. That's what that book is all about. And that's the idea of fear and nirvana, two seemingly contradictory ideas that actually can and must coexist. Fear is an access point to bliss and enlightenment. So you can find the book on Amazon. It's available in Kindle, Audible, paperback, all of the above. All the profits go to charity as well. We've supported some amazing causes. So we're donating all the profits. And yeah, you can find me at fearvana.com as well. Hey, I really thank not just for this, Akshay, but also your openness about telling your story. There might have at one point been a little bit of fear about that, but you're a guy that leans into fear. <laughs> But I, but I also think it's important for other veterans to see that, yeah, you can get through this suck and it is possible to get out the other side. Roger that. Yeah. Thank you for all the work you do, brother. It was great talking with Akshay. His enthusiasm is evident. And I think that voices like his are the voices we need in the conversation about suicide. Absolutely. You know, like I said, it was a lot of different insights that came up that you pulled out with him, Dwayne, in this interview. The theme is that we must approach and walk through suffering in life. It's part of the journey. What may seem counterintuitive to many people is the idea of embracing suffering, or as Marines put it, embracing the suck. Yet I've seen that this is the critical insight that frees warriors to be able to grieve and experience release from prolonged suffering. When I was at TAPS, I was asked to develop a training for the NFL Foundation on how grief and trauma are different 
and how they need different treatment approaches. My colleagues and I served a large group of military family members who had lost a loved one to suicide. We hosted healing weekends where nearly a thousand suicide loss survivors would come to approach their grief together and form a new family. As a team, we walked with them in that grief. And one of the things that continued to show up when people grieve is that after the waves of grief have crested and rolled through, there is love, joy, and connection just beyond. At TAPS, we would frequently say that we grieve because we love. Intermingled with sadness, there is a reconnection process that happens. As we learn that grieving does not mean saying goodbye, but rather carrying the love forward with us. This observation reinforces Akshay's message that learning to approach and walk through the middle of pain is what can free us to experience a profound sense of joy and reconnection. The training I mentioned here on grief and trauma was produced by Psych Armor as part of a larger NFL Foundation series. It's free to view and we'll drop a link in the show notes for this episode. Yeah, I often describe to clients that I work with is that they're stuck on this side of the minefield because they're afraid to even approach the minefield. So they live their life avoiding all of these painful things where it's not enough to just blindly go through the minefield. And I don't think that's what Akshay is, is talking about, but to do it in a deliberate way, maybe go through with somebody who can guide you through that. And once you're on the other side of that minefield of pain or what Akshay is talking about, leaning into that fear, then there's actually strength. Whereas before there's kind of avoidance. Yeah. You know, a lot of his work also woven and out of work you've done, Dwayne, that I think we should mention. You know, you touched on this a few different times in the interview, but the idea of stigma, you wrote a book called Combat Vet Don't Mean Crazy. And I know that a lot of that content kind of mingles with and plays well with a lot of what you all talked about on this interview. And I asked Akshay to, to share some insights with me about his particular journey. Although I haven't read Fearvana as yet, it's clear to me that he's drawing from a deep well of lived experience and sharing his message. So here's one example. This is what he said. When I enlisted in the Marines, I became very close to a Marine in my unit. We soon became brothers. We trained together and competed at everything. We volunteered to go to war together every chance we could. One summer while I was visiting my family in India, he found a unit to deploy with. We often spoke while he was in training. He would understandably give me a hard time because I wasn't there and said I didn't volunteer because of my girlfriend at the time. It wasn't true. It was all in good fun, but still I felt guilty about it. One day when I was in my apartment, I felt my phone vibrate. I looked down and I saw his name. I was standing next to my girlfriend, so I didn't want to face the onslaught of trash talk. I turned off my phone and thought I'll call him back later. I never got to speak to him again. He got hit with an IED and was killed. Rationally, I know you can't control what happens in war, but emotionally, it didn't matter. I always felt like I had no right to be on vacation when I made a commitment to him that we would go to war together. It should have been me that was in his seat so he could have come home to his family. I've struggled with that guilt for a long time. I still wrestle with it, only now I've learned how to use it. Akshay and I had a good interaction and we, we committed to exchange books with each other. And I'm looking forward to reading more of what he shares in Fearvana. It's very clear to me that what he has learned on his journey has come from a refining process of traversing a crucible of pain. We'll drop a link to his book in the show notes as well for today's episode. 
That it should have been me is something that is unique perhaps to military and and perhaps maybe again, first responders or those in these very dangerous professions. But this is again, something that adds to that uniqueness of some of the burden that might lead to someone's suicidal crisis is I made it back and they didn't. I didn't have kids. They did. They had a family. Why them? Why not me? Why did I make a choice to go to this particular school, even though I had deployed four different times and now this is my time to, why did I make a choice? Because if I would have been there, blank, 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 right? And so I think this is a very unique thing that we have to pay attention to when we're addressing suicide, specifically in the service member and veteran population, because this is where sometimes their mind goes to. And if we can't resolve that, then that can add to the burden that puts them in crisis. Totally agree. This is what we've been talking about. We're talking about the unique aspects of warrior psychology. There's this sense that they are to be each other's keepers. There is this collectivist culture that's very different from the individualistic culture that many civilians kind of live by. And there is also this sense that you should have control over outcomes, that if you train hard enough, or if you do this, or if you do that, people cognitively know that War is chaos and things happen in war, bad things happen. But really, you're so right. What happens is there's this love and this sense of I'm my brother's keeper and I should have control over chaotic situations. And all of that can kind of collide and create a ton of survivor's guilt that's very unique. And we really need to understand this if we're healers working with this population. And the fact that that does not have an expiration date, just because, you know, Akshay is no longer in the Marines, I'm no longer in the military, we still feel a responsibility for those that we served with. And those that we serve with still feel a responsibility for us. For me in Iraq, it's been going on 15 years. And for some in Vietnam, it's over 50 years. And so definitely that concept of that is an unspoken oath that was taken that doesn't expire either. So we appreciate everybody taking the time to check out the show. Make sure to take a look at the show notes, which you can find at veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash STMSS31, or by downloading the app by searching STMSS in the Apple app or Google Play stores. There you can get the links to everything we talk about in the episode, as well as finding the show on militarytimes.com. As a reminder, you can ask us questions and let us know what you thought about the show by going to our Facebook group moderated by the outstanding D. James by going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash group. Just a reminder that the guests and reflections on this show are for informational purposes only and should not be considered professional advice. While Dwayne and I are mental health professionals, we are not your mental health professionals. We always recommend that you discuss these things with a licensed clinician. You can find out more about the work that Shauna is doing by checking out her latest book, Beyond the Military, A Leader's Handbook for Warrior Reintegration, and the work that I'm doing with my latest book, Military in the Rearview Mirror. Both are available on Amazon and we'll have links to those in the show notes. And always remember, you can connect with the Veteran Crisis Line by calling 1-800-273-8255 and pressing 1. Chat online with them at veterancrisisline.net or texting 838255. Thanks again for joining us to talk about seeking the military suicide solution and make sure to follow Military Times on social media to keep up with the latest shows. Join us next time for another great episode. And until then, remember, you're not alone, ever.